Hello. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Movie Club. You're not going to like today's episode. Yeah. Because we're doing a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Start, start, we're getting setting everyone's expectation where it should be. This ain't the MCU, buddy. Yeah. It's the... And, and it's obvious. Yeah. We're doing a... Painfully obvious, yeah. A dumb old black and white movie called Citizen Kane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sean picked it. I picked it reluctantly, honestly. And it was a movie that I've never cared to watch. Didn't give half a shit. But it's on the AFI top 100 list and it's number one. And so I thought, if we're doing a movie podcast, I should have seen this movie. Is it really number one? It is. It's number one. Have they never seen The Matrix? Yeah. Yeah. Like... Or like Flight of the Navigator or yeah, something? Yeah, Like, it. what happened? This is number one. And so I was like, yo, just bite the bullet. It's not even two hours. Just watch it and see what you think. So... Yeah, did you watch it? I did watch it. I did watch it. I um, watched it, too. <laughs> I had this fear, truthfully, that I wasn't going to get it. That I was going to be like... What if I don't, like, everyone says it's the best. What if I don't even understand it? What does that make me? You know, I don't know. I was having these weird, like, this weird crisis. And then the movie started, and I see Balba Park everywhere. I'm like, okay. I'm already liking it. Like, I see, <laughs> I see these things that recognize already. I feel good. Let's yeah. just watch this movie. So that's how I kind of went into it. Balboa Park, if you don't know, is like the central park of San Diego. In fact, you've probably seen it in a ton of Mega 64 videos. I would say uh, several, at least 10. It's probably more famous for being in our videos than Mm -hmm. it is for being in Citizen Kane. But it appears in both. Um, I recognized it as well and got excited. Yeah, and I want to, without going too far into it, I I was cracking up because, um, I'll just say this. I think I could say this. We've been working on our version four movie for a while now. Was just working on it earlier. Stopped to watch Citizen Kane, and it literally starts with one of the locations that is in that. Yeah, it was just like what I thought. I was like tripping. I was like, but I remember when we were shooting it. <laughs> I asked someone, "Have they ever filmed anything else here? This is a great location." They're like, "Yeah, Citizen Kane, a long time ago." So we'll talk more about that. I'm sure if there's ever a version four commentary, we'll go more into that. But uh, Derek, have you ever seen it, Citizen Kane? <laughs> I tried to watch this movie when I was in my 20s, and I turned it off because it was so boring. Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, right out of high school, I kind of had the same yeah. experience. No, but reviewing it now, I actually loved it. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was great. It, I, I expect that you guys really like it too, just for one reason, but I'm wondering if you did like it, if what you thought of it. Like, I did really like it. I'm curious what you think the reason is that we... I'll tell you in a second. What did you think of it, Rocco? Uh, when I saw it in high school, I, I thought cinematography was cool, but boring. And I watch it now, and no, I just I loved it all, all around. <laughs> yeah. I knew it. Uh, this whole movie, watching it now, just felt like the video they play in line at the Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland. <laughs> oh, kind of. The yeah. whole movie had that feel to it. Ah, yeah. uh, the weekly news of the world. And you see they're loading for a big trip to the Amazon. And it's like people strapping down boxes. Yeah. That isn't in either of those. But that's the type yeah. of thing you would see. Kind of just this weekly world newsreel from the 30s and 40s. It just had that... It's so funny because watching it, I I know this movie was made in 1941, but it looks like the movies they make at Disneyland in the 90s or 2000s that are supposed to look like the 40s. Yeah. Yeah. Like the introductory introductory video to the Haunted Mansion, you know, just the (laughs) way they're all. 
moving around. And what I think it is, is that Orson Welles directed this and he's like a, a stage director yeah, at this yeah. point. And he just kind of directs it like a play. I don't know. There's just a bunch of hustle and bustle. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. Looks, I know what you mean. Yeah. It just kind of looks like those Disneyland uh, movies. So this, yeah. this movie kind of set the template on that sort of thing. So it's just, yeah, everybody looks to that as their North Star for inspiration on making like, oh, you got to make an old timey movie. Well, that's how you do it. I kind of thought this movie was going to be like Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Like, I just I didn't know what I I just knew a guy ran for office. That's literally all I knew. And that is not about that's not the movie at all. That doesn't even really matter. <laughs> like, it's interesting. I don't know. I, I was so surprised by this movie. Yeah. Um, oh, we sh- I, I'll just say, Sean, uh, something that surprised both of us. I can't speak for you, Derek, but uh, me and Sean are huge White Stripes fans. <coughs> and to, I'm the only one without a drink here. Continue. Yeah, okay. Oh, mine's yeah. over go there. Okay, go get it. Uh, Sean and I are huge White Stripes fans, and uh, it wasn't until watching this movie that you realize half of Jack White's lyrics are from this movie. There is a song called Union Forever, <laughs> which I've heard no less than 10,000 times, and... All of a sudden, I'm like, huh, it's like that song. Oh, wait, this is exactly that song. Oh, wait, now the next part. What the fuck? And I, realized, I obviously looked it up, and it's like, oh, it's like, that's his, like, one of his favorite movies, and he wrote this song about Citizen Kane, which I had no idea. I just thought it was like awesome lyrics, not realizing that he didn't write any lyrics. This yeah. is all Citizen Kane lines. Yeah. So interesting. It was tripping me out. I'm like, damn. It, 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 I had the same feeling, Sean, uh, listening. I, you know, I had never sat down and listened to a Led Zeppelin album. Yeah. And that was another situation where I was like, Jack White lifted a lot from this. So I'm <laughs> yeah. starting to think Jack White might not be as original as once mm, thought. I think, but I, yeah. That's, well, that's for, he, he stole from Led Zeppelin, but they stole from somebody else. So who's, who's really yet? That's true. They stole the from. Corner. And that person stole this. from Citizen Kane. Can you believe it? Yeah. 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 So, um, Popcorn shakers? I make this joke every episode. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into the plot of Citizen Kane. If you've never seen it, or maybe you watched it in your 20s and thought it was extremely boring like we did, I'll sum it up for everybody here. Um, the movie opens with... Uh, the opening, I think, is pretty famous, actually. I yeah. seem to be oh, yeah. aware of this opening even before I've seen it. It pushes in on an uh, old mansion. almost mm-hmm. looks like a haunted mansion. It like, did. Like, like a horror movie. Here. Yeah. Which actually I thought was re- really cool. Me too. Sucked me right in. Um, and it starts with Orson Welles as this man named Charles Foster Kane in bed dying. And his final words are Rosebud. And he drops this snow globe. It's all very cinematic. And then immediately you're kind of hit with this weekly world news. Like uh, the richest man in the world has died. Charles Foster Kane. And they give you this summation of, of his life. The summation was so long. I started thinking, oh, is this the whole movie? Uh, yeah. Like, is it just like the summation and they, they do it this way? I had no idea. Yeah. It's like 10 minutes. It's pretty, it's pretty in depth on his life. I thought that too, but I also wasn't hating it. I was like, no. I mean, if this is the whole movie, I'm down. Like, Also, <laughs> I really thought it was interesting. There's a part where they have him with Hitler. But that was before Hitler was like as bad as we know he is now. Like he was bad then. (laughs) He was bad, but we didn't know how fucking bad. And it's just interesting (laughs) that they already had Hitler in this movie. Yeah. Might Um, might have been a little sensitive if they did it, you know, a couple months later. Yeah. No foresight on that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, what I appreciate about this part of the movie and... It made me, I appreciated it more as the movie went on. This is kind of like in a Shakespeare play when they tell you everything that's going to happen mm-hmm. right up front. You Obviously, he's dead. 
you find out all the beats of his life story arc. Kinda. He was a trust fund baby who bought a newspaper. He married a woman, had a son, ran for office. Um, a political scandal hit. And so he divorced his wife and son. They die in a car accident. And then he marries the second woman. Um, does the summation of his life pretty much cover anything else other than that? And then he's like a yellow journalist yeah, uh, who gets rich. Oh, he builds this huge island palace called Xanadu. Xanadu. Which, again, when the movie starts, they kind of show a lot of Xanadu in this newsreel. And it's filmed in Balboa Park. Yeah. Here in San Diego. Like, a lot of it. Like, yeah. all the cool parts of, of our local city. Which is funny, because if you would film that today, it would be like homeless people all over Xanadu and... <laughs> Like Sharpie graffiti tags it's, all over it. It was funny though, because I'm thinking, like, you know, if I wasn't Hot familiar with San Diego, this looks very impressive. And I'm thinking, where do they film this? But then it's like, oh, it's like 10 minutes from us. Like, it's down the street. It really mm-hmm. was. Yeah. I kind of got hung up on that too, because you're portraying this mythical island palace and you're just filming a park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. know what you're, I mean, it's a nice park. I just yeah. like the way it's presented. I thought it was really smart. I did too. They say that Xanadu has a, a the biggest private zoo in the world. I'm pretty sure that was the San Diego I, it's Zoo. It's next door. It's next door to the Bell Park. It has to be. Yeah, they show an aviary, and I'm like, I've I've been in an aviary like that. Right. Um, why would you Why would you have the location at Balboa Park, and if you want an aviary, not just go next door to the zoo? Why would you find another one? Like, it's got to be the same one. Yeah. Exactly. So we're on the same page. What do you think about Balboa Park? Love it. Uh, what well, just in, within the movie or yeah. in general? Uh, yeah. I mean. I thought it was a good visual. Like, it was an interesting visual. It worked for that. And so I, it looked cool. Like, just treating it objectively like that. It was like, eh, looks interesting. You know, it looked we like did, a foreign place. We did a video once uh, filmed in Balboa Park. It was a parody called The Blacks. Mm-hmm. And we had this kind of title image of this uh, horse rider. Yeah. Horseman statue. Yeah. They feature that statue yeah. prominently here. They talk, uh-huh. Xanadu is covered with the most extravagant statues from all over the world, and it's the same yeah. statue that we filmed in ours. So, yeah. same brain. We're like little mini Orson Welles on yep. this show. That's exactly. We're three, three Orsons. You know what, truthfully, and I don't know what this makes me sound like, but I watched this movie and think if we were making movies in the 1940s, we'd be fucking famous. We'd be huge because... We should have been on it a lot earlier. I really you know? think that, like, the our techniques, like, are perfect for that era of, like, yeah, no computers, but we can figure out a way to make this look really cool without that. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're so good at that. <laughs> I think we could have made it big, guys. Damn. These guys did some technically impressive stuff. I was watching yes. behind-the-scenes videos and things you wouldn't even notice. Like, the camera floats uh, through a room... Mm-hmm. And it will, the camera will start on that side of the table and it'll end up on this side of the table. Right. Well, they didn't invent steady cams until the 70s. No, exactly. So that's not a steady cam. That is a camera on a dolly. They have a table that opens up and closes. That's what I figured. Yeah. Same with walls and stuff, I was thinking. Yeah. They would cut holes in the floor Mm -hmm. because you have to remember the cameras back then in the 40s are these huge. huge. Machines, they weigh hundreds of pounds. You have to load a canister of film in and you, you don't even have a viewfinder. Right. How do you focus this when you don't have a viewfinder? My God. You have to measure the distance and then look at your chart and be like, set the dial. Oh, it's 10 feet. Set the dial to this. Jeez. There's crazy a technical stuff going on in this movie that I think most people would miss. The the most mind blower thing to me, it's right, right near the beginning, is just the fact that there is a shot of a kid playing outside. 
Then the camera pulls through the window to go inside the house and the conversation continues as they walk into the kitchen or whatever. Right. On a camera today with today's technology, that would be a bitch. That would be like, oh man, because of the light of outside going into the light of inside a house. Anybody who's done filmmaking knows transitioning from outside to inside is really difficult. It's difficult now. How the hell do they do that shit then? That yeah, was the well, part that I thought like most most people, if they don't film stuff, they don't know how hard this is. I thought that had, that had to be a soundstage. I think that was a soundstage. Because there's no but, way. But regardless, yeah, to go sure. from that to yeah. inside oh, yeah. is still. That's the same scene with the opening and closing table. Yeah. Yeah. And it, that's to, the beginning. And that's like, oh shit. Like, what I thought was interesting researching this movie is that Orson Welles had never directed a movie before. So he didn't know what was and wasn't possible. So he would ask for these things. Not knowing that that was unheard of, and then they found a way to do it for him. So it's like kind of, kind of like stumbled into it. Now you know, like a little bit, just like figuring out as he goes. Interesting. Yeah, Orson Welles. Um, we should talk about him. He wrote, directed, and starred in this movie. Also, I don't know if he produced it. RKO was the film company that produced it. Mm-hmm. He was like twenty four or twenty five when he was making this. Damn. That's crazy. Um, I think he was like 23 when he got famous as a stage director. 23? Yeah. And then he did War of the Worlds, right. the radio broadcast, which made him even more famous. Uh, and so RKO tapped him to do this movie. This was his first film. And a lot of people say it was his best film. I thought there was a nod to War of the Worlds watching this. Really? Because there were point like, oh, people believe anything they hear on the radio. And then I oh, thought, that's yeah, what we're yeah. the worlds. And then later, I'm like, oh, wait, he did that. Oh, yeah. he definitely wasn't. Yeah. Alive. Totally. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, he, he's kind of like all over this project. Um, let's pick this back up. Where, where were we? Oh, the news kind of recovers his whole life. And at the end of the recap, you cut to the newsroom and they're like, oh, it's, it's great. But it's kind of you know, a little bland. We need an angle. Mm-hmm. And they all seem to know his last words were rosebud. And that becomes the kind of the not the red herring, but the MacGuffin of this movie. Right. What was that? What is Rosebud? What does that mean? How can we decode that? Was this a lover he once had? Was this, you know, maybe if they could figure out what Rosebud is, it will reveal something, reveal something about his character that will make this story even more interesting. So these reporters set out to interview the people who were closest to him to find out what his dying word meant. Mm hmm. Um, I actually think this is an extremely interesting way to tell a story Mm -hmm. because the structure of the movie now turns into kind of like Pulp Fiction where you get the same story from different people's perspectives. And you get it from everyone's perspective except for the person it's about. Yeah. So like you never see his perspective because he's obviously dead, which is interesting. So you're looking at him through other people's eyes. And I, I really thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um... Definitely. I'm thinking about how later on in film history, they talk about, I think it's this movie Rashomon, which is famous for like, oh, yeah. uh, showing people's perspectives. That's a great movie, too. We should events. do that at some point. Yeah, Maybe we'll do that in an upcoming episode Yeah, because uh, I haven't actually seen it. But I think in that oh, one, yeah. they talk about how two people can experience the same event and have different, um, mm-hmm. see the story differently. This movie almost touches on that, but, you know. yeah, That's what Rashomon's about? Maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing That's that up. That's not how I remember it. Maybe I'm mixing that up. How do you remember it? Oh, just a little gag for people who've seen it. 
Oh, well. oh gosh. Well, you and All one fil- person are laughing right fil- now. Yeah. Oh, he no got, one's he getting got around. Me to say, how do you remember it? Wow, this guy. It's getting around. Professional comedian here. It's getting some a half of Patreon's busting up right now. <laughs> well, it's just interesting to me for as famous as Citizen Kane is, and as influential and prolific as it is, it even touches on those elements which would make yeah. another movie famous twenty years later. Yeah. It doesn't even get credit for having those elements in there a yeah. lot of times. Um, so in finding out what Rosebud is, they're going to like look at some dead guy's journal and read some chapters about his early life. They're going to interview his ex-wife, his best friend, and kind of put the pieces of his life together. Mm-hmm. The first place the guy, uh, the, the reporters go is to read this journal that belongs to this rich dead guy. And it talks about how this guy basically adopted Charlie Kane when he was a kid. Right. And we get a flashback of how his youth was. Which I was kind of, I didn't really fully get that. Like, okay, so did the mom say that the dad hit him so he can't live with them anymore? And then he has all this money. And I'm not sure how we got the money. Like, how, how was he rich? So basically, like all stories, he's born rich. You know, it just randomly happens to him. Like all success stories. Like all success Born stories. Rich. It just happened, with, you know, at a happenstance. His mom, for some reason, I don't remember how, she inherited a plot of land. Mm-hmm. And I think they discover gold, a gold oh, mine on the land. And they, he gets that. They think it's a crappy um, tapped mine with nothing left. But he doesn't get, he does get the gold mine. But what happens in that scene is she is essentially setting up a trust fund for him mm. and the gold mine and all its assets are going to be managed by a bank. Yeah. And that guy is the employee of the bank who's now like the guardian of him. Yeah. Because they also, this is where it gets crazy. Um, in this, in this bank managing the, the mine and everything, all the assets of this woman, they consider her child, one of her assets, and they're going to manage that as well. Mm-hmm. And they basically, and I can understand the reasoning. It's like, you're filthy rich. Like we're going to send him to a boarding school and train him how to be an elite member of society. Right. Um, but his dad who has no say because he's not on the paperwork is like, you can't send my boy away. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what happens. Gotcha. Okay. Um, we find out that the guy who is running this trust fund is the person whose journal we're reading. And essentially, he manages the trust fund really well. By the time that uh, Charlie Kane is 25, he inherits the fund, mm-hmm. and he's the sixth richest man in the world. Um, but he kind of resents the affluent lifestyle, and he decides he's going to buy a newspaper and basically just trash all of his uh, business interests. like. Mm-hmm. The guy who raised him and all of his bank buddies, he's just going to use his newspaper to talk crap on all their investments and stuff. Again, it was hilarious through all this because they're going, uh, yeah, um, well, I think either he either he says or someone reads that he said, I can't remember. It was like, uh, sorry, I have no interest in oil wells, shipping and real estate. And I'm like this whole time. It's like these are all white stripes. Yeah. Like the whole time was just like, what happened? <laughs> I had no idea that that's what. That yeah, was what fun. would I have been? Everything you hate. It's like, <laughs> yeah. that. OK, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was just funny. <laughs> Man, now you're going to see through Jack White every time he saying. releases a new song. You're like, I get it, bro. You saw Citizen Kane. Yeah. Check out Aliens. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna next time. You know, I've never seen uh, what's a what's a big franchise movie I'd never seen. I don't know. Oh my god, RoboCop three, and it's probably gonna be all ball and biscuit. He's yeah, gonna he go. Is. Let's have a ball and a biscuit, sugar, and I'm gonna be like, damn, 
Yeah. Let's just hope Jack White doesn't see any Whoopi Goldberg movies anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, no Sister Act, please. Anyways. Sister Act 2 is fine, though. <laughs> we, we, we have a whole album about Sister Act 2. I'd yeah. I'd be into it. So, um, yeah. I mean, where do you want to go from here? Um, basically, I, I know. So this is that guy's story. It, it Half the movies seem like a play to me. Like the way, like there is one, I forget who the person talking is, but it's just a shot on that person. And I really liked how the interviewer, the guy who works the paper, you never see his face. It's like that character is like one of the main characters of the movie, but he doesn't, he's the audience essentially yeah. trying to figure out what's going on and who this person is. So you don't yeah. even see him. He's not important in that regard, which is interesting. But like, there's a shot of the, inter- the reporter interviewing a guy and he just sits there and it's just a shot on that guy for like three minutes of him telling the story. I don't know. It was like it was like half play, but then when the movie sequences would happen, it's like, how the fuck did you do this? Like this is incredible. Yeah. When he was giving his speech, and we'll get to later when he's running as a politician, and it's like that picture of the huge picture of him. Like, well, I guess that was real. Like they're not gonna CG that. Like that's like they got the gigantic picture of him. I found out that the crowd for that scene is there was this is this a piece of paper with holes punctured through it, and they would shine a light. Behind it, make it look like it was like flashbulbs going off. Yeah, they would move it around or something. Yeah, right, to really, I don't know. It's like so, shit like that where it's like this rules. Like that's so cool. And then it goes back to the play, and then it goes back to something cool, like some cool cinematography I've never seen before. It's interesting because yeah, this movie uses a lot of matte paintings and forced yeah, perspective and tricks yeah. like that. Um, uh, there's a there's other movies that we've seen on this show that try to do force perspective and matte paintings and even like green screen effects that look like garbage. Yeah. <laughs> and then this movie from the forties is so technically, it's well still impressive. Executed. Yeah. It's still like, wow. Honestly, I think that there's so much movie magic going on in citizen Kane that yeah. even all these years later, 80 years later, you're still not even aware of the movie magic. Yeah. Right. For example, that the makeup in this movie is insane. Oh, yeah. I thought the same great. thing. He looks incredible. Hey, you're not going to watch Citizen Kane thinking like that was fucking mind-blowing makeup. It is. They show this guy at the age of 25. He looks like a 25-year-old. Mm-hmm. They show him on his deathbed at 70. He looks like he's 70 years old. They show him at 35. He has a receding hairline. He's a little bit fatter. I found out that uh, Orson Welles would show up at 2.30 in the morning. Oh, wow. Sometimes to get, to, makeup? to get makeup done. And it wasn't just face makeup. They would do face makeup, a wig. They would attach prosthetics to his chest, his like, uh, his belly, his shoulders. They were like aging him full body. Damn, man. And like no one was doing this shit then. Like that's like unheard of. Yeah. In 1941, they were doing that. Not only are they doing that, but they're doing like forced perspective mm-hmm. tricks yeah. where... Uh, everything is in focus. So as he walks further away from the camera, it looks like he's shrinking, um, which no. is like one of the most famous shots in the movie. Yeah. Even, even I was having those thoughts throughout ever, almost every part of it. Like, I don't think movies before this did this, you know? Uh, I remember having that thought during, there's one shot where he's like walking around. I don't know if it's during the newsreel part or not, but where he's walking down the street and like, it's just the pers- from the camera's perspective, looking through the fence, you know, like yeah. spying on him. Like, you know, you, you're used to that in every horror movie nowadays, but I don't remember seeing that before. The, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Citizen Kane, it's just, it, it's like, oh yeah, look at him also, through the crack of the fence. I don't. The, the sound design yeah. of like, oh, they're in, later on, they're in his mansion and they're talking and it's so echoey. 
and it gives that impression of like this place is fucking massive. Yeah. Like, but that was a choice to do that and yeah. to make it sound like that. And that was, uh, I don't know, it just added so much to it. Yeah. I think you watch this movie and you're like, oh, yeah, old man, young guy, middle aged guy, never once thinking this is just like a 25 year old actor <laughs> yeah. the mm-hmm. whole time. <laughs> so they really do a good job to make it, uh, make the seams invisible. Yeah, they do an amazing job. So they end up reading the diary of the guy who took care of him when he was a kid. They don't find out what Rosebud means. Then they talk to his business partner and and his best friend. And we kind of get the story of how he became this leader of this newspaper empire. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently this movie is based off real, real life um, journalist William Randolph Hearst. Right. And one other person. Which the real world story about Citizen Kane is awesome because mm-hmm. William Randolph Hearst was alive when this movie came out and hated it and like <laughs> re- refused <laughs> to uh, publicize it in his newspapers. Yeah, he told the studio RKO that like if you review that movie, I'm never gonna you can't I'm not gonna review any movie ever again. If you th- burn this movie, don't show it because RKO films will be dead to all my papers for for now on. And if you make this public, I read a story that somebody tipped off Orson Welles, like, "Hey, when you go to your hotel room tonight, don't go because no, there's no. a naked woman in there, and she's going to like jump into your arms as soon as you open the door. And there's a there's a photographer in there because William Randall Hearst is trying to ruin you. Yeah, and he like had to stay at a different room that night." We don't know if that story is confirmed, but supposedly he was tipped off. Yeah, it seems like this movie, when it came out, like during the Academy Awards, it was nominated for like 12 things. Yeah. It won one. But every time that it was mentioned, or for the nominee or whatever, it would get booze because that guy was so powerful that he was like sabotaging this movie. Oh my God. Wow. So, and it only became famous and like recognized as being good like 10 years later when they started putting it on TV. Or maybe they said we put it in theaters again. I think it, was it, was. On, it was on DVD it was a couple right. years yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> All of that happened, and then I read a story that uh, Orson Welles and William Randolph Hearst shared an elevator ride like the night of the Chicago premiere. Like they got stuck on the same elevator oh. together. Yikes. Yeah. Oh, oh you're here. Um, you know, I actually have a Citizen Kane at home, <laughs> so I'm just going to go that that way. But that, good, good seeing you. Yeah. Yikes. Yikes. That's um, a transcript of what happened. Yeah, exactly. So we learn about the newspaper. Um, what happens? Uh, I mean, he loses all his money at one point in the stock market crash. Um, well, I guess basically he decides that he's going to run for governor. Mm-hmm. And then next stop is presidency. By the way, his first wife is the niece of the pr- president. Right. Something like that. So he has political aspirations. And he's going to win. Uh, it's like a, it's projected to be a landslide and he keeps talking about his opponent. I can't remember the opponent's name. Jimmy something. Oh God. What was it? Cause he keeps feeling the last name. Jimmy uh, D. No. Jimmy oh. Dean. No. Jimmy, it's not no. Jimmy D. Something with a D. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways, his opponent is uh, like this corrupt politician. Yeah. Corrupt politician and almost implies like he might have mafia ties. Right. Yeah. And then he does. Yeah. yeah. He calls him like the boss and he says like, not only am I going to beat him, but then I'm going to prosecute him and throw him in jail. Right. That night. And Gettys. this. Gettys. G. Jimmy G. Uh, James Gettys. Yeah. And keep in mind, up to this point, we've already been told in the opening recap of his life, his political dream is ruined because of a scandal. 
and his wife and son die in a car accident. Right. So after that uh, political speech, his wife puts his son in a car and sends him off. And I'm like, oh, no, no. <laughs> like the foreshadowing is so good. Right. I'm, I'm like really nervous. And he goes to his wife like, why would you send our son off in that car? And she's like, I'm going to this address. Are you coming with me? And it's like the address of his mistress or mm-hmm. this girl he's been hanging out with. And he goes down there. And they go together to this house and his mistress is like, I'm sorry, I sent this letter to your wife. He made me. And it's James. uh, What was his name? Gettys. James Gettys. Jimmy Gettys, his political rival, who basically says like, yeah, I'm going to ruin you. Uh, You need to pull out of the race or else I'm going to expose this scandal. This might be my favorite scene in the movie because I feel like this is the scene that really encapsulates everything that. Charles Kane is about mm-hmm. where everyone is telling him like, you have to pull out of the race. They even say like the decision's already made for you. You have no option. Mm-hmm. You're going to ruin your wife's life. You're going to ruin your son's life. You're going to ruin your own political career. You're going to ruin the life of this mistress. And he's basically like, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do you, I'm do me. Like I'm going to mm-hmm. do what I want to do. Let the chips fall where they may. Um, right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, so the scandal happens. His poli- he loses the election. I-, I got a kick out of they're basically the next day in the newsroom looking at it. They have a f- uh, headline that says like Kane wins, and they're like, nah, <laughs> he lost by a million votes. Uh, everybody hates him. The scandal's everywhere. We can't run this headline. Then they pick up another one that's like fraud at polls. They're like, yeah, yeah, go with that one. I was like, oh, you lose the election? You claim it was all rigged. The there, oldest trick in the book. There were uh. several things where it's like, this is sounding pretty familiar with like a thing that happened recently. It was interesting. Yeah, yeah. White Stripes Greatest Hits. That's that right. was the recent you event. nailed it. That's the only recent event I could think of that would even tie into them. Mm-hmm. Now, was I dozing off, not paying attention? Yes. Did I miss his wife and kid dying? I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. I, <laughs> don't remember that happening because I guess that wasn't part of the person's story when they told it. But yeah, you did not see that ever. Interesting, interesting. You're. It didn't occur to me. Yes. What I love about this movie is you're getting it from people's perspective. Right? Yeah, yeah. So you hear about him getting the newspaper from his business partner, but then you hear the same story from his best friend, mm-hmm. and that kind of bleeds into his romantic relationships, right? And sometimes there's there's a moment in the movie where you're, they're talking to his wife and she's like, and then I left him and he she walks out of the room. Story ends. Later on in the movie, we talk to his butler and his butler's like, I was even there when his wife left. And it picks up after the wife has left. Right. And that's when I was thinking, oh, yeah, you wouldn't get this part of the story from the wife because she left the room. The butler came in after and saw what happened after she left. Right. It only now occurs to me, nobody who, who witnessed the car crash could is alive. Nobody yeah. could say what happened. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, wow. So, so the, you only honestly, if you miss that little detail in the beginning in the newsreel, you're not going to see it or think about it ever. Like it doesn't <laughs> happen. Yeah, <laughs> but I think they really do a good job of like hanging a lantern on it in the story mm-hmm. where they're like, he got married like two years after his first marriage and two weeks after the death of his child and yeah. wife in a car crash. <laughs> I mean, you're really waiting for it to come, but right. it never does. Sadly, mm-hmm. that would have been so like. You almost had a good movie on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> he just stopped short. Almost, guys. Better luck next time. Uh, yeah, so he leaves his wife and he starts uh, his second marriage with this horrible singer. This is almost like the funny part of the movie. You know, Orson yeah. Welles is 
from the world of theater, and he starts kind of lampooning how bad theater can be. Yeah. I thought it was interesting because the choice to make her, she wasn't a terrible singer. She was just an okay singer. It wasn't like it was like, oh, fuck. Like They could have gone so far with it. Yeah. But instead it was just like, oh, is this okay? Is this good? I don't know. I don't think so. Hmm. And then it's like terrible, but it's like I like the choice of making it. She can sing. She just can't sing opera, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, basically, Charlie Kane, as he likes to be uh, known, spends all this money to build an opera house just for his wife and hire these singing coaches and basically just insists, like, you're going to be famous. You're going to be famous. <laughs> but she sucks. Right. And everybody hates her. And he just keeps, like, pushing her and pushing her and pushing her. And this kind of is what causes their marriage to collapse. Because she said, like, even, like, in the beginning, she never wanted that. Her mom wanted that for her. Yeah. And she never wanted to be an opera singer. And I think it's like he was so embarrassed with losing the election, he wanted to everyone to see what that she was incredible. Like she was like worth it yeah. or something. Like she was special. Also, so I'm going to spend all this money to make show you that, you know, he loses his political ambitions and throws away his marriage for this woman. And it's like, who's she? Yeah. Well, if she's the world's most famous opera singer, or America's greatest opera singer, well, cool. It makes sense. Yeah. You're the richest guy in America and you're dating the biggest pop star, but she's not <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And you, he's trying to make her one. Um, and still you're saying this resonates with people today. And I think that still kind of plays into celebrity marriages and one person being more famous than the other person and that causing conflict, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's so interesting that even in 1940s, the celebrity and wealth and that whole lifestyle is the same as it is today. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. So, this is when he builds Xanadu. He's starting to bond with his wife. He's trying to get older. And uh, basically their marriage collapses towards the end of the movie. Um, his best friend abandons him. They fight because his best friend's like, your wife sucks as a singer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he writes this review saying she's horrible. Um, everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. He loses his political ambitions. His wife leaves him. The new wife wants to leave him. He lost his best friend. He's... You know, becoming isolated in his palace known as Xanadu. Um, you know, this movie doesn't have the craziest plot. No. no For no. people regard this as the greatest movie ever made, it's really good, but the plot is really simple. It's just this yeah. guy's life and, you it's know. It's like he has everything, but he also is never happy. Yeah, they have normal but- conversations and, and uh, yeah, it's just very, uh, it's great, but there's no, there's no crazy twist to it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, it's it, when oh, what were you saying? It's very straightforward, I think. Yeah, it's funny. It, it reminds me of I remember Stanley Kubrick talking about that. He he was like, you know, you want to make the best movie ever made, don't overthink. Like, <laughs> don't overthink that part of it. He's like, you really just kind of need six interesting things to happen. You can make an interesting movie around. Like, he had a weird philosophy on that where it was hmm. like, you know, that wasn't it wasn't his priority to have these really complex plots it was more about an experience and all that so you know that's just one filmmaker's take on it but it reminded me of that in just thinking about this yeah i think you know just keep it simple and execute it as well as possible that's what citizen kane aims to do so by the end of the movie his wife leaves him and then it's like yeah nobody knows what rosebud means they talk to the butler uh, the butler says yeah i know what rosebud means 
He said it. And then he had a snow globe in his hand. <laughs> and he did that again when he died. And they were like, all right, thanks. Uh, he's dead by the end of the movie, and they're packing up all this stuff. And they're like, mm-hmm. we're never going to know what Rosebud's means. They actually do this cool thing where his second wife was obsessed with jigsaw puzzles, and they kind of bring that back as a theme. Rosebud is just one piece of this jigsaw puzzle of right. a man's life. We'll never really know how it fits in. And then they leave, and it's almost like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. The yeah. Ending, it's, yeah. It's his property, but everything's boxed up, and they're sorting through it, and the camera's just floating over just a ton of stuff. Which is a good shot. His whole collection of everything he amassed over his life. You probably know what the ending of the movie is. They settle on a... Um, his his snow sled he had when he was a boy is getting thrown into the furnace and painted on it is the name of the sled Rosebud, which I did not know that was. I had no idea what Rosebud really? was. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so that that's a pretty famous. Uh, that was a gag in Animaniacs maybe a hundred times. Hmm. Was oh grab my sled here. I don't know why it was like in there and a whole bunch of stuff. Tiny Toons referenced Citizen Kane all the time. Yeah, yeah. What did you think when when you saw Rosebud was the sled? What did you think? I. I loved it. I was like, yeah. oh, oh, I get it. Like, that's when he was taken. Like, that was like, he was holding that and playing with that when he was taken away. And like, all this guy yeah. wanted was love. He missed his childhood. And he missed his childhood. He missed, he missed the love he had. And he didn't get that. And he, sh- sh- the whole yeah. movie has been trying to find it again. And he couldn't. Yeah. It, it was unavoidable because it's part of culture. But I was, I was like, oh, I wish I hadn't known that. But well, I, it was a nice surprise no, for me. Never saw the movie, knew about that since I was a kid. Hmm. That oh yeah, Me whatever too. that movie is, it's a sled with Me Rosebud too. on it. Literally, that's, what like, I, that's how I knew about I'm it. I'm a dumbass sixth grader, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what Citizen Kane is other than Rosebud is his sled. Yeah, that's seriously all I knew about it. Hmm. That's so funny. Well, I got lucky. I yeah, you did because yeah. that's like one of the most famous endings of all time. I found and out it wasn't spoiled. That what it was like an inside joke because William Randall Hearst called. Do you know what Rosebud meant for him? Uh no. That's this is. This is, I've, I did more than enough research on this because it's Where so weird. Where did you hear this? Okay, go ahead. What is uh, it? Apparently, that's what he called his wife's clitoris, and that's what Rosebud meant. This this sounds like a junior high story. It like, does, but around. that's I I have heard that. Well, I have heard. Well, that. I heard it was her butt. Well, so. maybe. But anyways, that's uh, what I've heard. Thought it was a flute. <laughs> but, but believe me, I did enough research on that before I was put on this podcast. Like, that ah, can't be real. That's and I found it on yeah, another site. I'm like, I don't know. It's two places. I don't know. So let's give this movie some popcorn shakes. Okay. Yeah. And I'm expecting a low score today. I truly loved this movie. And I really thought I wouldn't. And I'm so glad that I'd, I liked it. I think I'm going to give it four and a half shakes. Four and a half. Yeah, if me. it was in color, it would have just been. Yeah, fun. that's what it I'm saying. Just, there was no slow mo. Yeah, do it, <laughs> do it in color, and I'm gonna say the same thing I fucking said during the Snyder cut. Not widescreen, really. Like, oh, okay, a square. Yeah, whatever. I keep. I guess going between four and a half and five, and I don't know why I'm doing the half. Like, it it, yeah. it is a five. I'm gonna give this movie five stars yeah. because I'm. I mean, you can't do this movie any better than you did. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it's a fiver. All right. Uh, Four and a half, five for Sean in between. Um, d- to speak to the color thing, there was a point in time I was reading about that uh, they, um, Ted Turner said, yo, we're going to colorize it for when we show it on TV. And uh, apparently there was, so- like, th- no one knows if he was serious or not, but there was such an outcry, it never happened. Huh. Some people said he was just kind of, like, ribbing about he it. He was you joshing. Know, but- you don't have to watch it in yeah. color. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that I might be interested to see what that looks like. Yeah. Do it now. Um, 
uh, five for me. This well, this just, this movie yeah, five this movie way. has every movie. Uh, you know, I always give points to the how does this exist category. This is the top you could. Do. I mean, how did they g- execute this when they did? And it was just uh, every movie ma- movie magic exists because of movies like this. It's, it it uses every trick to do something that no other medium can do. Yeah. And uh, it was enjoyable from beginning to end for me. Yeah. So I think, five. I think let's just do that all the way around then. I, I mean, there's no... Re- five. Yeah, I appreciate we, that they tried so hard to tell a realistic story. Yeah. yeah. You know, you don't need movie magic to tell a story about a guy who runs a newspaper, but you, you, but you did. But you, they did. You had interesting sets. You had crazy makeup. You had avant-garde camera movements. You had unconventional storytelling elements. Yeah. Why did you try so hard? Yes. Everything you mentioned is what makes movies awesome. Mm -hmm. And they utilized every bit of it, even when they didn't have to. It sounds, it does sound weird. Oh, the first movie they got all five stars was Citizen Kane. It's like, it's not like a joke. I know. Seriously. I'm almost almost disappointed. But it really (laughs) was like, I was watching it like, no, this is like fucking incredible. This is the first in movie club history, Mega Sizzler movie club history. The first fiver. Across the, the movie board. just feels like you're standing in line for a Disneyland ride. Yeah. It just <laughs> yeah. has this energy and hustle a bustle. No, not bias. I feel like <laughs> the movie legitimately is entertaining. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't feel boring. Yeah. You know? And it movies back then do a lot. They're very boring. Yeah. But mm-hmm. this wasn't. So, eh, yeah. h- hate to say it. Perfect score. Yeah. Damn. Sadly. I can't believe it happened. Well, well Rocco, we did it now. Can we do it again? Back-to-back perfect scores. What's next? So next week is my choice for the movie, and I just feel like the only way to go is to kick this truck into reverse and go the total opposite way. If this is widely regarded as the best movie ever, we got to go for one that's regarded as the worst. We're going to watch Mac and Me next week on Mega 64 Movie Club. Hell yeah. Mac and me, I, I, I truly believe we are driving as fast as we can in the opposite direction off the cliff. I've, have you seen Mac and Can't me, Derek? Wait. I've never seen Mac and me. Uh, no, I haven't seen Mac and me. And I asked Rocco if he's seen Mac and me and he says he's seen it multiple times. Oh, <laughs> All right, that, oh man, we All got right. We got to balance the scale. It tipped too far in one direction today. We got to wow. go the other. All right, we got to go all zeros. Here we go. It might, it, we're going to go one direction, but it might not be your direction next time on you Mega 64 what? Movie Club. Somehow I feel like uh, Citizen Kane is going to have better special effects than, <laughs> than Mac and me. Probably. I just have a feeling. No comment. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>